Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, the fall will be here before you know it, and the temperatures will start to drop and get a little bit cooler. So swing on by Leon Tailoring to get you something warm that will not burn a hole in your pocket. Maybe it's a nice little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a heavier blouse or skirt, or no matter what it is, maybe a nice sweater. No matter what it is, you can get it at Leon Tailoring. You can get it ready-made or custom-made or tailor-made. Just go on in, tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you, and they'll be happy to do it as well. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Okay, we'll go ahead and uh, get started here, guys. Um, Kevin will uh, discuss some of the latest uh, legislation, seeing activity that's um, important to the chamber here this week, and then we'll open it up to questions. And to ask a question, just go ahead and unmute yourself and uh, and ask. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Thank you. Well, thank you, Matt, and um, thanks for everybody for joining us uh, here this morning. Obviously, we're uh, the second half of the session is well underway. I'm going to start with um, an issue that is arguably of lesser importance, but it's something we've been working on for five years, and um, it may actually come to fruition today, and that is um, Senate Bill 167. It's authored by Cinder Lysing from um, the Oldenburg, Batesville area. Uh, that would make it an expectation, not a complete mandate, that uh, all high school students and their families uh, complete the FAFSA form so that they're aware of what uh, financial aid they may be available uh, for for post-secondary. And by post-secondary, I mean not just four-year colleges, but also associate's degree certificates, even the next level jobs program requires filling out the, um, the federal reapplication for free student aid. Um, and uh, that bill, has passed the Senate. It um, went, it's gone through committee and then yesterday second reading without any amendments. So it is eligible for a final vote today by the House and in, in which case it would go then straight to the governor. Um, so this has been a bit of a labor of love for our uh, my colleague Jason Bierce and uh, saw Senator Lysing yesterday evening and um, she said she's not going to count her chickens before they're hatched because this thing has been through so many maturations. Um, similarly, we're, uh, we're pleased and excited about another priority of ours and really an issue that we brought to light uh, over the course of the summer and fall in our leaky talent pay, uh, pipeline paper, which is uh, House Bill 1449, which would automatically enroll students eligible for the 21st Century Scholars Program. So uh, they would have an opt out, just like the FAFSA would as well. Parents can opt out of, of filing that, but they have to make a conscious decision. And the same with 21st Century Scholars. Uh, right now, as an opt-in, uh, less than half of the eligible students are getting enrolled and, and getting in the program. And these are potentially life-changing uh, opportunities for uh, kids to um, go on to uh, post-secondary training, which we know is so important because um, literally nearly every job posting uh, that's out there requires some uh, level or some sort of um, post-secondary education and training. Um, everybody's anxiously waiting to see what uh, the Senate budget um, contains and reveals. And I, I know from being at the State House um, in the early evening, a couple of uh, days last last night and again last Thursday, that 
um, Senator Mishler and his um, caucus members that are on the appropriations committees have been holding meetings, working on their version. Uh, as we know, there are some significant differences of opinion about how much money should go for the unfunded pension liability. Uh, Senator Mishler's made a declaration about uh, any expansion of vouchers, which was a strong uh, priority and component of the House budget. So that's going to be an area that they're going to have to work out. Uh, we expect that the, the uh, Senate Appropriations Committee may restore some of the IEDC funding that uh, from the governor's original budget that was trimmed back or altered uh, in the House budget. Um, so we're waiting to see about that. We're also very interested in um, funding for childcare in terms of the expansion of On My Way Pre-K, as well as a bill that Senator Walker had that would have provided employers with a tax credit for um, directly providing childcare assistance or uh, facilities or uh, providing uh, their employees assistance for with paying for child care. Uh, so that's uh, one that we've been following and, and supporting very much. Uh, we're also very pleased that uh, House Bill 1007 uh, is moving uh, through, has moved through the House, of course, and, and now in the Senate. That would establish and require the state to come up for the first time in nearly 20 years, a state energy plan. And it has, um, five tenants around reliability, sustainability, resilience, uh, look, a look to the future. Uh, that's something that we called for in a um, energy study that our foundation produced uh, just before the pandemic. And so we're very pleased about that. Uh, we're very interested in um, talking to uh, key legislators, particularly Senator Holdman about um, House Bill 1499, which is the property tax relief bill that uh, Representative Thompson had that uh, lowered the 1% cap to 0.9% to reduce the, um, the large increase in revenues that local government would otherwise see from the inflation we've been experiencing and from the, the rapid um, increase in home prices due to shortage of housing. Uh, Senator Holman seems to be very much inclined to take a more wait and see approach. Let's see what the, the property tax assessments actually are, what the bills are, and then uh, craft any um, sort of solution or, or legislation relative to that with known data rather than um, estimates that there are right now. Uh, we continue to be very supportive uh, of Senate Bill 1, uh, the um, behavioral health, a commission related bill that would imp implement the recommendations of that commission, as well as Senate Bill 4, which is the Public Health Commission. Um, our call is to make an even further impact on those issue areas uh, by paying for the uh, funding needed for those two commission recommendations and those two bills by increasing the cigarette tax and related tobacco products by $2 per pack and then comparable increases in snuff and vaping products and et cetera. That would have the benefit of lowering uh, over time our smoking rate, which is 50% higher than the US average. 
It would reduce uh, our Medicaid spend on uh, the significant majority of Hoosiers that are on Medicaid have smoking-related illnesses. Um, so it would reduce that as well. So there'd be a, a, a double positive impact, if you will, um, in that. Uh, we're waiting on um, Senate action on several uh, township re government reform bills. Um, one of those would, the 1035 would um, eliminate or cause a referendum to be held in the 13 areas of the state where we still have township assessors. These tend to be the larger um, townships across the state. Uh, that was the compromise when we eliminated what was 1,008 township assessors, all providing 1,008 different interpretations of the assessment manual. And we had um, literally chaos and, and very inconsistent property assessing across the state. Um, we would support the opportunity to move all of the assessing up to the county level uh, where it's more professionalized. Uh, there's also legislation that would allow three very small counties to merge their townships because they're just, they aren't big enough to, to be uh, operated efficiently. Uh, and then there's also a Senator Layman's bill, which would um, really kind of crack down on units of local government, particularly the townships that don't keep their financial records in a, a condition that can be audited by the state board of accounts. They deem them to be unaudible. Uh, they would be identified by the state board of accounts. They would have a certain period of time uh, to correct those deficiencies, or uh, they would be uh, listed kind of on what I call a naughty list of um, local government units that aren't meeting um, accepted accounting standards. All those bills are over in the Senate. Uh, we're waiting to see if Senator Buck who chairs the local government committee in the Senate, will give any of those bills uh, a hearing. He uh, has tended to be and proven to be very pro-township and kind of a defender of the status quo. Uh, but we're hopeful that these bills will be allowed to be heard. Um, Senate Bill 5 was visiting with um, Senator Brown last night. Uh, that's the data privacy bill. Um, this is a priority for the chamber. Um, the bill as it stands, as it passed the Senate, is a very good, very balanced bill. It gives consumers um, more control and protection over their data as it's collected and how it's used uh, by various businesses and vendors. Um, but it also uh, has what we think is a fair and balanced approach to the responsibilities and the obligations of the businesses as well. Uh, and then the last one I'll mention uh, here at the outset is Senate Bill 155, uh, which is the IDEM uh, air permit fee bill that's really uh, necessitated and driven by the federal EPA who sent a letter last fall threatening to take over that program if it wasn't um, expanded and, and funded at a better level. That program is funded completely from permit fees. There's no state general fund money involved. Um, and so while we're not normally in the business of supporting tax and fee increases, excuse me, um, this is one where we would would rather do that than have the EPA come in and take over this 
program and then have much longer delays, um, much higher fees and, and much more difficult time uh, for businesses to get their air permits. So um, with that, I will stop uh, there. As I said last week, is a, a lot of act legislative activity going on, impacting businesses on a lot of different issue areas and, and fronts, as much or more so than I've seen in the past. So with okay. that, uh, we'll start at it. Okay, we'll open it up to any uh, questions. Thanks. Uh, Kevin, on the property tax issue, obviously there's been a lot of talk about residential property taxes mm -hmm. and sort of, uh, sort of doing some of those. What about uh, are you folks in the commercial and the business industry? What's happening with your property taxes? Any sort of relief can you folks expect between, say, now and whenever session ends? Well, the um, the assessed value increases for um, business and commercial property have not gone up nearly as much um, as it has with the housing. There, there isn't the shortage of um, industrial and commercial uh, property buildings as there is in, in the housing market. Um, and I, I can send you some data to show the difference in the different categories, um, including, including farms as well. So you're right, the focus has been on, let, on excuse me, on residential property. Um, and, you know, Arkansas, there's, there's, there's two ways to approach that. Basically, if you look at all the bills that were filed, they fall into two camps. One is, um keeping the same property tax burden or same level of revenues or similar but shifting who pays and we're very opposed to that because the business share of um if you compare the business share of total assessed valuation to the business share of taxes actually paid uh we're paying uh, considerably more than our share uh, because on the residential side, you've got the 1% cap versus 2 and 3% caps. You've got homestead credits and super homestead credits that knock down the tax burden relative to what the share of the assessed value is. So we're opposed to that approach. The other approach is what's in currently um, House Bill 1499, which reduces the what will be otherwise a very high growth rate in revenues for local government. Um, this bill is projected to, on average, knock those down from 10% to 6%, which is still a healthy growth rate. Um, and we would prefer that approach, uh, obviously, than, um, that, than a property tax burden shift approach, uh, which some of the bills that were introduced that are now dead um, took. But that's, you know, how they do that is, is still open for debate. And we're gonna present our data uh, and show that businesses are already paying a disproportionate share of the property tax burden statewide. Um, but there isn't, um, admittedly, there's not as much of a need for relief on the business side because those assessed values have not grown as much as the uh, very substantial increases that we've seen from uh, residential property. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer, but kind of lays it out for you. Thank you, appreciate it. Okay, any other questions? Along with that, uh, Kevin, uh, the House budget, of course, uh, included the 
the rapid increase or speeding up of the mm. uh, income tax uh, cuts. Yeah. Uh, I know the the Senate's been more reluctant on that. What what are you encouraging on that front? Is it uh, you know? Do you support? Do you think the state finances are healthy enough to to speed up that income tax cut like like the yeah. House has proposed? Um. I think the state finances are strong enough um, to do that. That would benefit uh, not only obviously individuals, I think the number is 470 million over the biennium and um, over a billion dollars in tax relief um, on the, the, the whole time frame that the, the phase down uh, to 1.9% would occur. Um, and that also would benefit, and some of the benefit would come to our small businesses, because all of what we call the pass-through entities, where the business income tax is paid on the individual income tax returns of the owners and shareholders, they would see you know, a, a faster rate reduction as well. Um, obviously, the Senate, or at least Senator Mishler, um, puts a higher priority on uh, on the unfunded pension liability, and he noted that you know he, uh, he believes there was a, an agreement made last summer uh, during the special session, and I, I think we can fully expect to see um, more than the two hundred fifty thousand dollars, excuse me, two hundred fifty million dollars that the House put in towards um, the unfunded liability, uh, probably in the, in the Senate budget. You know, he's talking about a billion dollars. And if you take that much money off the table, then you probably don't have the money to um, accelerate the income tax reduction. So um, both are important. Um, and obviously, when the pension liabilities are completely uh, paid off, then that would literally free up about a um, billion dollars a year in um and the state budget that could be invested, you know, in other ways, and that's what the Senate is trying to get to. But certainly, uh, we're supportive of the income tax acceleration uh, because it does uh, positively impact and benefit all the small businesses in the state. With uh, the House and the Senate having proved such different. Uh, ESG related bills. Uh, what are you uh, anticipating happening on that front? Um, and what it, what are you hearing from uh, the players involved in that discussion? Since neither side has taken up the other's bill really yet. No, I don't know if that's a game of chicken going on. I, I am hearing. Uh, we are hearing. Uh, starting to hear from different legislators on various bills that, you know, they're waiting to hear so-and-so's bill until they see if their bill gets heard over in the other house. Uh, so that gamesmanship is, is, that is always there is indeed starting to occur. Um, I know that uh, Senate leaders um, are not particularly favorable towards the House bill. Uh, they have concerns about it. Um, and this will be a interesting and challenging negotiation, I think, between House and Senate Republican leadership. Uh, we obviously prefer the Senator Holman's bill, and we can support that bill, which essentially 
codifies the, the investment policy and practices that NPERS is already uh, implemented. Uh, and we really don't want to go farther than that. We have consistently, along with our banking members and banking associate, Bankers Association, opposed um, House Bill 1008, and we will continue to do so. Uh, Kevin, how, based on uh, your previous experience with legislative sessions going back well, a, a while, how would you rate this? <laughs> Thank you for not for not uh, <laughs> quoting a number. <laughs> <laughs> how would you rate uh, what's going on this session versus previous sessions? Well, it's, they're all a bit unique. As I said, I think the thing that the that we've noticed, uh, well, two things. One, our big focus after last year's session and the special session was to try to get them to focus on the, the areas where we have deficiencies compared to other states where we're not as competitive. Um, you've probably heard me say that, you know, the last 20 years, we've built one of the best business climates, regulatory climates, tax climates in, in the country and the best in the Midwest, but the area that we haven't achieved uh, nearly enough is on um, our educational, particularly post-secondary attainment. And uh, you heard me mention several bills, FAFSA, 21st Century Scholars, uh, investments in higher education institutions, uh, strong, what is it, I think $2 billion additional funding for K-12 education over the biennium. So we're pleased that they they seem to have listened, or we we've helped uh, nudge them in the direction of, of focusing on um, education and workforce, which are going to be so critical in this talent-driven economy uh, for us to compete going forward. And then add to that um, House Bill 1002. So we're extremely pleased in that regard. There is also, as I said, a lot of activity that. Uh, we're pushing or is in some way impacting businesses um, in, in many, many other areas. Um, so we've got our plate full. Uh, our whole team is, is very busy and very active, but um, we're pleased overall that there's uh, so much attention to matters that will, um, that are focused on improving our competitiveness economically, our competitiveness for jobs and and growing and recruiting talent. Okay, are there uh, any further questions? Like I just wanted to see real quick, you mentioned a little bit about the uh, the, the public health program. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the house budget whittled down uh, even further yeah. what uh, the, the governor had requested towards that. And yeah. of course, there's been some concerns about uh, rural counties not being uh, willing to go along uh, with that. Is that, uh, you know. Well, and the way it's structured, it's, it's, it's optional. They, right. It's kind of a, How big they have a worry incentive. Yeah. If they, if they want to um, provide the match and, and meet the, the standards, um, but it is not a mandate. And you, Are you worried about this ending up being a, a half step by towards uh the legislature funding this and then you know leaving you know a lot of counties that already have poor health uh, metrics not willing to sign on anyway well that's certainly one scenario but that's why we're proposing to fund this 
with a dedicated source with the, the cigarette, tobacco, and vaping um, tax increase so that they don't have to debate and decide how much general fund money to put towards this. Because as you're correct, the House cut the, uh, on the public health side, the governor's request in half and provided no money uh, to fund the 988 system or any of the other recommendations of the behavioral health. Um, and uh, we're, we've yet to see whether um, and the, what the House does with those bills. Um, and, you know, do they get, particularly um, Senate Bill 4, does it get altered? Because we, we've heard that there's um, some of the support there is tepid and, uh, and maybe even some pushback. So we also have not, not only is the issue about funding, but um, what does the House do with the components of that bill uh, that contain the recommendations of the commissions? So um, that's one where there's a lot to be yet to be decided and resolved for sure. Kevin, I did have, I did have one more question. Um, I'm not sure whether this is something you guys will house or a CNN and a Bankers Association. Uh, any thoughts on what's going on with some of these sort of smaller you know, regional banks uh, with some of the, the bailouts that have to happen or, or rescuing, so to speak? Uh, what does that mean for Indiana and Indiana, Indiana's businesses? Well, I've, I've been following that pretty closely and, and have read several reports that, um, and I've sat in on, on a U.S. Chamber briefing uh, last Friday um, on this that, you know, says that the underlying banking system is solid, um, that those particular banks were not properly hedged uh, for inflation increases, which is what's driving this, and that their um, investors were more concentrated uh, with um, higher levels of investment and wealth that were in that bank's way well above 250000 dollars that the FDIC normally um, protects against. Um, and so, yes, there's there's concern, there's watch, but um, for banks and other banks across the country and for banks here in Indiana, uh, there are no alarms going off at this point. And uh, we're cautiously optimistic that it'll stay that way. Okay. If there are no uh, further questions, we'll go ahead and conclude today's uh, session. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. It's good to, good to uh, visit with you all and, and our friend at Fox 59. Uh, thank you for tuning in as well. Thank you much. Thanks, guys. You guys take care. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.